Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it. We keep it reels. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Welcome to another episode of Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm Hillary, and I have a new podcast host with me. Say hello to Amy Davison. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and so I was just going to give you all an update about what's been going on with Mama Bear for the past, I don't know, many, many months. As, as some of y'all are aware, we last year we were working like crazy on finishing the Mama Bear Apologetics book, and it is finished, and it's actually releasing this week as we're recording. Actually, today. Today is the, mm -hmm. the release, uh, June 4th, so I'm not sure when we're going to get this podcast out. Um but that's a huge deal. So we've been working with uh, launch teams and we've been working with marketers. And uh, today at launch, uh, Amazon actually sold out on the, f on the first day. So that's, that's kind of a big deal. Yay. Uh, yeah, we hope that there are going to be just moms all over that are going to utilize this information and uh, be able to equip their kids to understand the, the cultural lies that, uh, that we discuss in a lot of these podcasts. So... Um, so, Amy, uh, won't you say hello to the listeners and kind of introduce yourself? Tell them a little bit about yourself. Hey, everyone. Well, obviously, you know, I'm Amy Davison. I, um, I am – it's really neat to kind of be on this journey because it's not something that I really expected. Uh, growing up as a kid, you know, I – thought for sure that I was going to be this amazing storm chaser. I had seen Wizard of Oz. I mean, I had the gingham dress. Like, I was ready to go. Um, I think I drove my mom crazy with how many times I watched uh, the movie Twister uh, as a kid. And, uh, and so I set my heart on becoming a meteorologist. And, uh, and God put me in logistics, which if you know what logistics is, is I work in a warehouse full of boxes. So not exactly, <laughs> you know, what I had had envisioned. Um, but, you know, I was able to get stationed in Oklahoma for two years. So I thought, you know, surely this is going to be my time. I'm going to, I'm going to see one. And uh, in the two years I was there, I saw a thunderstorm and it was exciting. And, uh, and then I went no, to Germany. No tornadoes? No tornadoes. Not one. In fact, it was so funny because I was actually driving. Okay. Be a record for Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, and you know what? It, it, it drove me crazy because the uh, the first spring that I was in Germany, um, the area where I was stationed at Tinker Air Force Base, um, around that area had gotten hit by one. And I'm like, are you serious? I missed out. Um, I, you know, and I was supposed to go to Florida. I was supposed to be on the beaches of Florida. And I traded with a girl for Oklahoma. She thought I was nuts. But I was like, I got to see tornadoes. And um, I, I did get to see a dust devil. It was... Um, those in, are actually kind of fun. Yeah, it was. And it was in the parking lot as I was driving to the airport. And I, I kind of <laughs> rolled my eyes a little. I'm like, thanks, God. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, so, you know, it was just so funny because here I thought, you know, my whole life um, that this was what I was going to do. And, uh, and you know, all of my efforts to get myself on that path, you know, God just sort of was like, nah, it's not going to work out that way. And so, you know, he, he put me uh, in Germany which was absolutely gorgeous. And uh, within a month, um, there was this guy that decided to, you know, give me a ride home. We were in the same off-base housing, a sort of apartment building. And, uh, you know, I, I tried to offer him gas money because, you know, I was just trying to be helpful. And he turned me down. He was very sweet. So I said, well, you know, why don't I bake you some chocolate chip cookies? And he oh, honestly... Oh, you went there. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, ladies, that's the way you got to go. It's you pull out the big guns. <laughs> And uh, I didn't, the apples weren't in season, so I couldn't do the pie thing. But uh, I went with chocolate chip cookies and he totally didn't think I was going to do it. Um, he was just like, okay, sure, you know. And uh, and then like 30 minutes later, there I am at his front door with a plate of steaming hot chocolate chip cookies. And, and uh, you know, he opened the door. He was like, well, hello, come on in. <laughs> and uh, and that, that that was it. You know, he was my person. And um 
It was great. We had one of those like amazing first dates to where you talk about all the subjects, all the magazines tell you not to talk about. Like it was like an interview. <laughs> we we sat down and I'm like, all right, so politics. Let me let me hear what you where you stand. You know what what are your thoughts on kids, ministry, Christian or not? It was one of those to where. Wow, I, that was bold. Oh man, it was one of those to where you know you. I didn't want to get my emotions involved. Um, because I mean, gosh, once emotions are involved, you make all sorts of compromises. It's like let me see if this guy is uh is you know someone to invest in and yeah. uh and if he's not you know he's probably gonna pay for food so that's cool um <laughs> and if he is then you know this is great and uh you know we had an amazing just two hours and i knew from that first date that that i was gonna marry him um mm. i was like this is it this is my guy and uh i j- you know you just can't tell anyone because then you sound crazy like your first date hey great to meet you we're totally getting married one day you know it's uh <laughs> It's it's just not normally something you say. Um, and this is what all guys fear is after the first date. Oh, my gosh. She's picking out curtains and wedding dresses. And <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. And I was like that person in my head. Like, you know, I was like dancing around in my head being like, yes, my guy. And I just can't tell him, you know. And uh, and it was great. I mean, it's I kind of. I, I joke around a bit because I, I love the the movie Beauty and the Beast and I kind of laugh. I was like, you know, it's kind of how I feel is like our story. It's like, here's this book loving girl. She's wanting an adventure. She finds a hairy guy that talks to inanimate objects <laughs> and they hit it off. And I mean, that's if you ever saw him watch football, you would you would know what I mean. But um, uh, yes. But yeah, so we we got married. We have three boys and uh, and God called us to Texas and it was just, it was awesome. We came here. We didn't know why. My husband, my husband was like, I just really feel like we're supposed to be here. And I ended up at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's Stand Firm Conference. It was the very first one they had. And I don't, I, to this day, I cannot tell you what, how I ended up there. But it was, um, Dr. Travis Dickinson is talking about apologetics and I had never heard it before. And I'm listening to all these amazing lectures. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there are answers to these questions that me and and so many others that I knew had, you know, we just kind of would bond together and be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with that too. Uh, you know, good luck. Keep keep it up, you know. <laughs> and to to know that there's actually answers, um, I yeah. was just, I was, I was hooked. And so when he announced at the end of it that they were opening up um, an apologetics program, because I think they only had one at Biola and maybe at Houston. And yeah. um and once they once he announced that Swibitz was having it, I was like, oh gosh, I, I signed up right there, and uh, and yeah, I, I completed my my master of Christian apologetics, and um, and I ended up finding y'all just by just by on the web and and looking you up and emailing and saying, hey, you know, I don't know if I can be of of service, but uh, this is a, a ministry I have a heart for because I've seen so many high schoolers uh, being a substitute teacher, seeing these kids struggle and just the impact that, you know, relativism has just totally seeped into even the Christian culture and seeing Mm -hmm. these kids just struggling with the same questions um, that I had, you know, as an adult and, and to just have this drive to, you know, how can we, how can we help these kids so that then that they grow up to have just this firm, deeply rooted uh, faith that they can enter into thoughtful dialogues um, with their with their friends and and just really know how to wrestle with doubt and reason well, and and you know it led me it led me to Mama Bear and um, one of the one of the things that sort of weighed on my heart is is ethical issues and especially when it deals with you know sexual health and how that relates to faith because it's it's such a topic that's under fire and just right yeah. at the forefront of our culture and mm-hmm. um and so that's what I hope to to help uh, to help here at Mama Bear to help answer those those tough questions and um you know I'm doing podcasts with Hillary here so it's going to be great to to just uh you know, pour into this ministry and, and you get your cards. I'm going to have like Amy Davison, biblical sexologist, you know, there's gotta be like, like, yeah, some, some sort of, some sort of cool or something, you know, something. Well, so, um, if you go onto the mama bear site, you'll already see one of her, uh, posts that's on what, what went wrong with purity culture. So that is Amy. So we're going to start getting into our current podcast. Whew. We should probably pray before we start this one. It's like, usually we always pray at the end of the podcast, but this is one of those topics where I feel like we probably need to pray at the beginning as well, because we are going to be talking about how to address Gay Pride Month with our kids. Yeah. 
Yeah. So get ready for the hate mail. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah, yeah it's a so. it's a rough topic and just a lot of a lot of a lot of hurt it there. So yeah, definitely prayer would be the way to yeah. go. So I'm gonna pray us in, and then we're gonna just talk about some tough tough topics. Uh, Father God, we just. Thank you so much that you are the God over all, Lord. You're the God of tough questions. You're the God that wants to help help us navigate this world, Lord. We pray for this discussion that we have today that I know that this um, there may be, be some things that there are people out there who feel very hurt by some of the things that we say. We pray, Lord, that they would not feel hurt. We pray, pray that they would feel the love of Christ calling them out uh, to their true identity as being an image bearer of, of the God Most High. And we pray that uh, you would just guard our words, guard our lips, that we would be fair in representing these topics and that it would be seasoned with grace and compassion uh, and love, but without negating truth, Lord God. Um, we, we just pray per, per, for protection over this podcast, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so I was talking with Amy about this earlier that uh, a couple years ago, John and I did a series uh, at our church called Tough Questions. And one of the tough questions was, uh, what does the Bible have to say about homosexuality? And I was really, really burdened to have kind of a a very, how would you describe this intro? <laughs> a very, a very real intro. Like it's, it's, there is such a deep topic and I think we kind of want to take this superficial path because it can seem so black and white, but it's not. And it's not. And so there almost needs to be a bit of a reality check to, yes. uh, to this issue. Yeah. So I'm probably going to turn this into um, a blog post, but in the meantime, I'm, I'm going to read you approximately what I read before we started our teaching on what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. Uh, there are certain topics that are more emotionally charged and thus require finesse and nuance. There are certain areas in human existence where the demons of condemnation love to hover and attack. Identity is one of those areas. That is what we see when Satan comes to tempt Jesus before he starts his ministry. What does Satan ask all three times? If you are the son of God, if he's attacking identity, the battleground of this generation is raging around identity, namely sexual identity and gender identity. So before we broach this topic on Mama Bear, we need to make sure that we are approaching it with the necessary ethos, gravitas, and sober attitude, knowing that this is for many like an open, festering wound. We cannot go casually poking around and expect them to thank us. It is easy to forget that the words we say, cloaked in scholarly language, can cut someone to their very core, to their very soul. We can't afford to do this kind of worldview surgery lightly. The first time the Lord impressed this upon me was before I gave a lecture on the youth exodus. The week prior, a close friend called me to tell me that her son had just announced that he didn't believe in God anymore. Her son was eight years old. Mm. I cried that night because the lecture just became that much more personal to me. I knew I needed to make some changes. The content of my talk didn't change much, but the introduction sure did. I needed a reminder that I was not just talking about statistics. I was speaking to a room full of parents, some of whom were in great agony and self-condemnation, wondering what they had done wrong. Truth is not to be used flippantly, nor as a weapon. Bringing it back to the current topic, a few years ago, John and I did a series for our church regarding Christianity and homosexuality. The week before our talk, one of the college campus leaders whom we adored left the church to pursue a same-sex relationship. I cannot say enough good things about this person. Her heart for God was always evident. Her willingness to pray with others at the drop of the hat was one of the, her defining characteristics. In fact, love in general was one of her defining characteristics. Our talk got real, real fast at that moment when we found, found out about this. So why does this topic matter so deeply? Because our sexuality is a big deal. I personally have witnessed close friends enter into sexual sin and never fully recover in their walk with Christ. The best book I have ever read on the topic of sexuality is Sex in the Supremacy of Christ. 
In this compilation book, John Piper quotes the author Bruce Marshall, where he says, The young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. What Marshall saw and what few are acknowledging is that there is a deep connection between God and sex. Uh, Piper later quotes Peter Kraft saying, Sex is the effective religion of our culture. Sex is like a religion not only because it is objectively holy in itself, but also because it gives us a subjective foretaste of heaven, of the self-forgetting, self-transcending, self-giving that is what our deepest hearts are designed for, long for, and will not be satisfied until they have. The main thesis of the book, Sex and the Supremacy of Christ, is best expressed by referencing a quote on page 16. Quote, Sexuality is designed by God as a way to know God in Christ more fully, and then knowing God in Christ more fully is designed as a way of guarding and guiding our sexuality. All misuses of our sexuality distort the true knowledge of Christ, and all misuses of our sexuality derive from not having the true knowledge of Christ. So if I wanted to put this in, in kind of layperson's terms... When our sexuality is distorted, our ability to see God correctly is distorted, and vice versa. When our view of God is distorted, our sexuality will necessarily be distorted. Since being married, I've watched this thesis play out on a variety of stages. I've had close friends who were dedicated to purity and Christ and missions finally get old enough to where they were just tired of fighting sexual temptation and give in. I've watched it destroy them, and I'm not talking about rampant promiscuity. I have one friend who actually married the guy. However, in the process of rationalizing her decision, she walked away from the Lord and has never returned. So all of this is to say our view of sexuality matters. So what do we do with those who struggle with same-sex attraction? After all, in light of the quote by Kraft, how do we deny that self-forgetting, self-transcending, self-giving experience to someone else, knowing that their heart is constantly longing for it? That is essentially the impasse that many people on opposite sides of the theological aisle find themselves disagreeing over. So before we continue, I would like to ask everyone listening here two questions, and I want you to see if you resonate with either one of these. Number one, if same-sex attraction is not something you have ever struggled with, have you ever fully put yourself in the struggler's shoes? Do you know what it's like to long for something created by God that's supposed to be a window into heaven itself and not be able to find it? Have you ever really tried to understand the longing and heartbreak and loneliness that goes along with someone who struggles with same-sex attraction and having people say to them, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, and then go on with their day? Have you approached them as a clanging gong without any love? So that would be the first question. The second question is perhaps you're keenly aware of the struggles of those with same-sex attraction and you have empathy and in mercy. In a lot of ways, you're doing your best to bring the love of Christ to a demographic who has been largely used as a scapegoat by the church. Do you find yourself championing the cause of same-sex relationships? If so, what will your reaction be if, in studying scripture, it does seem to say that same-sex relationships are not part of God's design? Are you willing to tell God that you are more merciful and more loving than he is? What if it's true that a distortion in a person's sexuality will necessarily lead to a distortion in their ability to see God? Are you willing to stand before God and say that you helped someone stay in bondage to a distorted view of him when it was his desire for them to walk in freedom? So those are our two tough questions tonight. And I think basically any talk that we ever do on homosexuality um, issues needs to have those two questions stated before, because I think we all need to get our hearts right uh, in a place of valuing truth, but also doing so in a compassionate way. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that, Amy? You know, what, what comes to mind is uh, an interview that I read with um, Nadia Boltz-Weber. And, you know, she talks about how, 
you know, she was this pastor of this church and, you know, is very welcoming to the LGBTQ community. And, but in the process of, of opening these doors, it was a sort of Jeffersonian uh, take to scripture to where there was um, even an event to where they had had this bonfire and they were just tearing up the Bible and only just keeping the portions where it talked about, you know, Jesus's love and that sort of everything else got burnt away. And, and that's uh, that's the is that something that was verified that Jefferson did or is that like a, a he didn't actually burn it he what he did is he took like an exacto knife and cut it out in fact there's actually a copy of the Bible um, that oh, he wow. had done that's in the museum that you can go and see and it's very <laughs> small it's like a you know he cut out all he what he did though is he cut out all the supernatural aspects he kept the great teaching oh. so he had yeah because oh, he was a deist right yes he had this view that you know these were great sort of teachings but any of the supernatural stuff you know let's let's toss that out so. Um, miracles yeah. that sort of thing he tossed aside and you know with with this view it's it's sort of any any passages about objective truth um about standards on our sexual health and and that sort and they would they tossed it away and and she jokingly responded to where you know we'll, we'll have this bonfire and i'll bring the marshmallows was was her comment oh, wow is let's just celebrate our liberation from the quote-unquote oppressive dogma of, of sexual chastity and and heterosexual relationships it it really reminds me of how of of how we're we're very willing you know when you talk about this distorted view of sexuality and how it distorts our view of god is how much of god you have to you know toss aside just to keep your sin yeah yeah so today on uh, on the podcast today we are going to start with the assumption um that the moms out there are aware that homosexuality is a sin according to scripture we would like to do a separate podcast at some point where we actually um go and we give the reasons why there are some people out there that don't just affirm homosexuality because, oh, I have a friend who's homosexual, so therefore I affirm it. There are people who have taken scripture and really read into things that I don't think are there to say that the Bible actually affirms a homosexual lifestyle and it's, it's good theology. So we'd like to have a separate podcast on that. So, but for today, we're just going to be talking about some practical tips on how to address Gay Pride Month with our kids, since that's this month. So we have five main topics that we want to get to on this topic, God willing. Uh, But number one is finding out what your kids already know, because if you haven't had the sex talk with them, you might not want to have the gay sex talk with them of uh, what is homosexuality. Because I know at at particular ages, kids don't really even understand what marriage is. Mm -hmm. I remember one of my nephews, and I won't say which one, so I don't (laughs) embarrass him. But um, saying that, you know, when he grew up, he wanted to marry Ruru, which is my my mom. Uh, that's her grandma name is Ruru. It's got a long story behind it. And so, you know, he was so sweet. He was just thinking, I love Ruru. I want to marry mm-hmm. her. So, you know, there are certain ages that kids don't quite understand what marriage is to begin with or what it entails, shall we yeah. say. Uh, number two is educate the kids on what the movement is because... I think that itself, it's like they they hear in Sunday school, oh, the rainbow, that's a symbol of God's covenant never to flood the earth again. And so they see rainbows everywhere and they think, Noah. Well, I don't know what they think. That's the purpose of asking your kids what they already know. (laughs) Number three would be purposely raising our kids in a countercultural way, which we'll discuss what we mean. Four is teaching about the difference between desire and action. And if we can get all the way to it, and I really hope uh, we can, but again, we can always have a part two is how to deal with people versus the Bible's commands. Because I think in some ways we've been treating scripture and treating people kind of opposite. It's like we've been, some people are take the kind of uncompromising truth of scripture and they apply that to people and they're very exclusive and very, I don't want to say closed-minded because that's not the right word, but they're very, I don't know, they can be harsh with people. Yeah. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, they think, oh, we need to be loving and compassionate. And so therefore, we're just going to have a lot of grace on what scripture actually says, and we're going to change that. So we need to switch those two instincts. Um, but so let's go, let's go back to the number one, finding out what they already know. So have you had any of these difficult conversations with your three sons yet? You know, we did. We were we were watching this show called The Loud House on Nickelodeon. And, you know, it's a it's a hilarious show. It's um, about a boy my son's age who happens to have 10 sisters. And so they live oh, in this wow. house that's like 1,200 square feet with... Uh, t- 1,200 square feet I know, they specify that in like the song. Um, that's 1,200 square feet with 10 sisters, you know, a 
varying ages. And, you know, it's just hilarious to, to see them interact. And uh, in one of the episodes, I believe it was called Ellis for Love, is they had a sort of love letter that was sent and it was just addressed to the letter L. And of course, all the kids are named L and I can identify all my boys are J. <laughs> totally accident, but it just happened. And so they're trying to figure oh, out... Oh no, you know you're one of those families <sighs> that... Our entire pastor, like for three generations, everybody has a name with a K. That's so funny. And they've all got like five kids. So, I mean, they're getting real creative with those. We thought for sure the third one was going to be a girl. And so when we found out that it was another boy, we're like, you know, we better name him a J name. Otherwise, he's going to feel like we don't love him. So (laughs) it was like two hours after delivery, we finally settled on a name. So, um, Mm. but in the show, so they're all struggling to figure out, okay, who is the one who got the love note, the secret admirer, you know, it's all, all thrilling. And so each one... One of them uh, encounters their crush and they have to all sort of, you know, build up the gumption to confront the person that they have a crush on. And uh, one of the older sisters, she uh, thinks it's somebody named Sam. And so you only hear it just referred to as Sam. And, you know, her sisters are very encouraging. Oh, come on, you just need to go and talk to Sam. It's going to be great. So the whole episode, you're just hoping for, I think it was Luna, um, to just build up the courage to talk to this person. Whenever they showed it, it was always a group of kids and there was a guy out front he had a guitar and he had the hair you know so you just assume that this is the same they're talking about of course well then at the end of the he's got a guitar he's got a good i mean plaid i mean this is awesome you know he's got the whole look and at the end of the episode all the kids have confronted the person that they've had a crush on you know and it's all gone well and um you see Luna, and she finally tucks this note into the locker, which I don't... Do kids even do that anymore? But she, she tucks the note into the know. locker. I don't know. I think they would. I, you know, that's... I like notes. And so the crowd... I left John a note in his lunchbox this morning. Aw, that's so sweet. When my husband would deploy, I would write little notes and, like, put them in all of his clothes. So, like, throughout Aww. the deployment, he would, like, take out a pair of underwear and a note would fall out. And uh, so we'll say yes, that people do still tuck notes into places, and kids do it in lockers. It's romantic. So you see her tuck the note in, and she ducks around the corner. Um, and then the group comes walking up, and you see the boy in the lead, and you're like, oh, this is it, the moment that uh, he's going to find out that Luna has a crush on him. And he walks up to the locker, and then he keeps on going. And you're like, what in the world? And all of a sudden, it's a girl that comes up to the locker who is always there. She was always in the background, but you just never never thought anything because again you know you just sort of assume it would be a boy and she was always in the background well she opens the locker and pulls out the note and she smiles and then it clips to luna and she gives these googly eye you know sort of smile that all the other ones gave to uh the the boys that they were attracted to uh and then the episode just cuts out like that's the end i mean it was it was just a a fraction of a second it was just a few seconds to where if i hadn't been sitting there watching it with my kids i would have completely missed it and um, mm. my my younger two, they did. They were oblivious playing Legos. But my my ten year old, what ages are they again? Uh, I have a eleven year old, a nine year old, and a seven year old, all boys. So the nine and the seven were oblivious, but the eleven year old caught. He on. caught it, and he stopped, and he looks at me with just this confused look because we had watched an episode before that where Luna was having a crush on this British guy. So it's like, wait a second, it was in one episode she's attracted to a British guy, and then this episode now it's a girl. It's like, and he looks mm. at me and he goes, "Mom, what just happened? Is does she like a girl? What is that?" And then that's when it all just sort of like, oh my gosh. Here, here it is. Well, I guess it's time. Here's for the, the conversation now. that we get to have now. So yeah, we've we've been there to where uh, he didn't know about it. He hadn't really given it any thought because I'm I mean ten year old boy girls are still gross. Thankfully, um, <laughs> I know that's coming up quick. Uh, that they're not going to be gross, and now not for much longer. Now that's an option, and he didn't mm. know that before. So yeah, that would, that quickly became something that uh, that we had to address. So yeah. So how, uh, some ways that we can address, like, to find out what they already know. And uh, this would be one of those ones that it kind of presents itself to you, but uh, not everybody's going to be lucky enough to be able to sit and watch the cartoons with their kids and, and pick up on this, like, probably five seconds of the show that's promoting something that the rest of the show you didn't expect. And so what are some things that I'm thinking about that we can do to just ask our kids is maybe asking them about the rainbow. Mm. <laughs> saying what do you think that means especially for this month during pride month asking them what does the bible say about that 
what does culture say about that? Just find out what they know. What are some questions that you think would be practical just to, to ask kids? Because I think if we just launch into lecture mode, then they'll start tuning us out. But if we kind of figure out what they already know, we can correct misinformation as it comes up instead of having to address it with them first. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's a great tactic. And, you know, honestly, there's lots of opportunities for it. Um, if you've gotten your coffee lately at Starbucks, if you're Starbucks or anything like ours, you'll notice that it's on the the shirts that the baristas are wearing. Love is love. You see it throughout the mall on signs and that sort of thing. And yeah, like like you suggested, what do you what do you think they mean by that? What what do they mean by the rainbow? What have you heard? Have your friends ever talked about this? That sort of thing. Kids are really open. You know, if you come to it as sort of almost like a peer, you know, it's like, hey, what have you heard about this yeah. sort of thing? And then they mm-hmm. they don't think, uh-oh, you know, am, am I going to get in trouble? What can I say? You know, that sort of thing. And so I've, uh, yeah. with my boys, I love keeping things very casual, very practical. I want to talk about these issues like I talk about what they did at school or had for lunch, you know, because then there's, then there's uh, the door open for future conversation. So I would say just yeah. really practical. What have you heard? What do you think? Um, what do you think it means? You know, asking them uh, from their perspective because kids are more than willing yeah. to share. Yeah. And I think it's a good tactic in general just to always be finding out what do your what do your friends say about this? And just because they're not going to always offer up that information. And, you know, some kids are able to articulate that better than others. That's okay. Just kind of, yeah, keeping it conversational. So number two was something that you brought up, which I thought was excellent, which was you said, we really need to educate kids on what this movement is. So once you've ascertained, maybe they kind of know what's going on, asking them, would you like to know where this started, like what the history is behind this, or just saying, Let, let's let's talk about how this started. And so why don't you tell me some of the research that you found out about Pride Month, how it started? And yeah, this was all new territory for me because I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, well, you know, why, why is June, you know, Gay Pride Month? I didn't know. And uh, so I, yeah, I didn't. I, I mean, thank goodness for Google, right? Uh, because you can, <laughs> you can find out anything. And uh, so I did. I wanted to look up and figure out there had to have been some significance to it. And when I had done some research, uh, in fact, you can go on the Library of Converse. Uh, Commerce, there we go, uh, dot gov. Commerce, that's where. Yes, not Converse, although I love their shoes. They are good shoes. So I went there and because I just wanted to see, you know, what it was about. And it turns out that it is back in 1969 at the Stonewall Inn in Manhattan, there had been an altercation. Uh, back then, you know, gay, lesbian lifestyle, that sort of thing was illegal. So, of course, you would go to underground clubs to engage in these sort of, like, meeting up, hanging out, that sort of thing. Meet and greets. Yes, meet and greets. Yeah. And... It was almost like uh, speakeasies back from the Prohibition era. Yeah, yeah, and they did. They had to do it completely in silence. It was one of those, you know, to where you uh, you didn't want it getting out because, again, then you could have people showing up at your door, which is exactly what happened. And you got to think of, of the climate. Of course, you had, you know, civil rights just in its heyday. And so there was a, a lot of pressure going on. And so what ended up happening is at the Stonewall Inn, there had been a club there where LGBT folks could get together and now they, the police did have grounds to enter the building. They were serving alcohol without a liquor license. So they did have that. But again, it was perceived as more of an attack on LGBT folks. So they were arresting people, putting them in cop cars. And the people that were there got in an alter, a physical altercation with the police. And whether it was, you know, supporters against police, whatever, they were throwing bottles. I mean, it just exploded. And oh, uh, I mean, it was really escalated. Oh, it did. And so that is kind of why we celebrate in June or why they celebrate in June is because that's when that happens. And now mm. it's sort of, um, it's sort of evolved. It, they have memorial services for folks who have died from HIV or perhaps um, hate crimes, that sort of thing. They honor the people who have died that are, uh, that have suffered that way. They also honor folks who have made advances uh, in history, nationally, internationally, that sort of thing. Um, uh, Adam Turing uh, comes to mind. Oh, yeah. Alan, 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 Alan Turing yeah. um, comes to mind. And so they, they honor folks who uh, who have made advances while being gay, homosexual, or uh, transgender, that sort of thing. And which yeah. was really interesting and, and kind of sad to think like they, they've been marginalized to such an extent, like you can do such great work, but because you are gay, transgender, whatever, everything you've contributed is now meaningless. And um, I think that... I don't know if I would say that it's that way. I think Alan Turing, I mean, the Turing machine was named after him. It seems like his his homosexuality, at least, you know, from my extensive research from watching the movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. <laughs> it, yeah, it, oh, so good. There are probably are some that are, have been marginalized 
for their contributions. I don't know if Turing would be the best example because I think, I mean, every first year computer programmer knows his name. But I do think it's important that we really teach our kids about the actual violence yes. that has been perpetrated. That this isn't something that they are making up. That's a real thing. Not even just violence, but like just even bullying and stuff that has gone on that has just not been okay. That this is not the way you treat another human being. And if there is a people group that has been kind of been singled out and a lot of times singled out by Christians, then we do need to stand up for that. But again, we want to make it clear on the podcast, we're not standing up for everybody's right to be right in the sense that we agree with everything that everybody's doing, but what we're standing up for is their right to be treated with respect and dignity. Right, and I think that's where a lot of the main group has felt like they have really not had. Yeah. The information you share, again, will depend on, you know, the age of your child and sometimes their attention span, you know, the smaller ones, they may not be able to (laughs) comprehend it or, you know, the older ones kind of tune you out. So, uh, but yeah, some of those factoids are are really helpful for kids to understand, okay, why, why are we seeing these, this at this time? Yeah. And so I think just understanding the history of, of this kind of violence is important for them to know why there's been such a reaction to having something where they say, this is the month that we stand up for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because just the idea of, of, anything pride Mm -hmm. it kind of goes against what we as christians are are really taught in the first place that you know number one our identity is in christ and and pride is kind of considered a bad thing you know (laughs) according to the to, to scripture and so this idea of what do we even mean by pride i think can be helpful for them to know of saying they're saying that they're proud of who they are as opposed to receiving the inhumane treatment but again that that gets into the dicey subject of I don't know. We don't want to get into this on this on this podcast, but ideology versus identity. Yeah. But we'll we'll skip that for now because that's a whole rabbit trail. So number three, we want to be purposely raising our kids to be countercultural, and they need to know what that means. And this is something that a Bible study leader of mine talked about. That it was an older couple, Rock and Sharon. I adore them, but they train their kids they would say to their kids i don't know how often i'm sure enough to make their kids roll their eyes which is always the sign that (laughs) you're you're doing doing it right right. in my opinion yeah is that they say we are we are raising you to be countercultural. you are not going to fit in with your peers we we follow the bible that this is this is our benchmark you need to be able to live with your peers with respect but you are not going to be like sometimes for what you believe and you are going to be made fun of and that's the way it is so expect it and that's kind of the approach that I think we need to be making, especially when it comes to the legislation that's going on about what you can say and what you can't mm-hmm. say in, in terms of sexuality and identity. Once that becomes the law of the land, we are officially in exile, that we are we need to be living as if we're in Babylon. You go back to the, the scriptures of how Daniel and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they lived in Babylon as Uh, as Jews. Mm. And so one of the things that they did was they learned basically what culture was teaching them, but that didn't change who they knew they were. They maintained their identity as, as Jews by saying, you know, number number one, we're not going to eat the meat that's sacrificed to idols. But even with that, they were kind of gracious with the, I I can't remember what it was. If it was, it was the guy that was in charge of educating all the kind of cream of the crop Jewish boys that they yeah. brought in. And he said, oh, no, that the, the king's going to see that you're less healthy. And they said, OK, we'll let you give us a test. Just give us the vegetables for one week. And if we don't look better than everybody else, then you can feed us what you feed everybody else. So even with trying to maintain their identity as a Jew, as, with the laws that they had regarding meat sacrifice to idols, they still gave that concession to where they were not going to harm mm. somebody else with who that was, and they trusted God for that. And I think that's an important distinction. But secondly, they learned that culture so well that they rose up in ranks in respect and uh, were given authority over the kind of the whole mm. kingdom. And that's another thing that we can say that being countercultural doesn't mean you always have to give up everything, but it does mean that you have to expect to be different. Right. And I think one of the scary things about that, and you know, feel free to correct me if you're wrong, the scary thing is we have to we have to give up the idea of trying to maintain this idea of innocence and with our mm. kids. And I've heard this several times. I I taught in a homeschool co-op and 
you know, a lot of the parents talked about, you know, the, the reason they homeschooled is they just want their kids to be kids. They just want them to be innocent. They don't want to have to deal with all of this stuff. So they've kind of, you know, set them off to the side. And so often innocence starts slipping into ignorance to where they, mm. they want their kids just to be kept away from all that stuff. And me personally, as a parent, I totally get it. I, I wish that, that this could be a reality. Um, but unfortunately, we're, we're not living in the Garden of Eden. We're living in a culture that is we're in Babylon we are and you know what they I would argue that the world would love for our kids to maintain that innocence because if they're innocent if they're ignorant then they have no defenses and they are just easy Mm. targets and I mean we're we're seeing it now to where you know we don't want to talk to our kids about these tough issues but you know what the world already is I mean gosh look at Arthur that just came out uh Steven Universe (laughs) um is very heavily saturated with it uh Hulu's The Bravest Night also is very prevalent um with LGBT to where it's just marketed and you know if our kids don't understand what they're seeing you know they they just go along so well with that it's just so easy yeah. for them to just, you know, accept it as truth. I'd like to bring up an example of, and this would be from biology, because, you know, that's that's my forte is biology. But the difference between innocence and ignorance, I really like to compare this. And I know other people have done this as well, but I like to compare this to vaccines in the sense of what is a vaccine and what is it doing? And so, number one, a lot of times, you know, the parents that want to, like, sanitize everything for mm-hmm. their kids that's actually not a good idea because what's happening in those early years, the kids, it's like if they get sick a lot as a kid, that's actually not not that it's good for them to get sick a lot, but it's good for them to be exposed to all these germs. Because the way the body responds is when it encounters something that it identifies as this is not part of my body and this is harmful, it actually creates an antibody. And antibodies are kind of like locking mm. keys where it's pretend like everybody's hand looked totally different and you had to have the right glove to go on everybody's hand these antibodies that can attack the foreign invaders in the body are like they create a special glove for this special whatever it is that's entering the body so that if it encounters it in the future it already has something to neutralize Mm. it and that's really the basis behind behind vaccines and we're not going to get into the whole you know vaccinate versus not vaccinate i've got mixed feelings about that so Let's just go with the analogy yeah, for now. Yeah, inoculate your kids. Um, yeah, in, yeah. So this idea of innocence would be like if a kid was never exposed to any of these, what well, they're called antigens, but any of like the bacteria and stuff, they have absolutely no defenses to protect for when a larger amount of those of that bacteria does come. So basically, if you have a huge onslaught, say that they get into middle mm. school and now it's all these ideas, like, again, bringing it back to the ideas, all of a sudden you get a whole onslaught of, of these ideas and they've never encountered them before. They have no way to guard themselves against them. And so in that sense, ignorance actually becomes the way that the world starts making sense to them. And the way that people who are advocates of this of this ideology, they will be very, very persuasive. And they're not just going to use reasons. They're not going to just use education. They're going to use cartoons. Mm-hmm. They're going to use... Uh, emotions they're going to use every single tool that they have in their toolbox to convince your kids that this is truth and this is right and what the bible says is not right it's bigoted it's an unloving all these other things and that's going to make sense to your kid because that's the first time they've encountered it yeah and you know it's funny because we're, we're going to get a little nerdy here but you if you've ever seen <laughs> the lion the witch in the wardrobe or read the book i highly recommend both that's your weekend challenge uh if I recommend the whole series. Oh I, I haven't just, seen the new movie. The whole Narnia series. Yeah, I know. I'm sad that they stopped making those. But yeah, okay, so go on to, I think I know where you're going with this. So we see, in, C.S. Lewis, I think, portrayed this really well with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When you look at Lucy versus Edmund. So, And by this, she means the difference between innocence versus ignorance. Yeah, so they both, you know, got into Narnia and everything, and both of them were initially duped. You see Edmund, who is blown away by, you know, this this beautiful, powerful, slightly terrifying, you know, queen who he's just enamored with. And then you see Lucy being uh, sort of 
duped a bit by Tumnus, who, you know, he's just sweet, gentle, that sort of thing coming off at first. And so you see them both initially. And of course, we, we know the story, you know, Tumnus ends up uh, feeling bad and he starts warning her about what to expect. You have to watch out for the white witch. You have to watch out for trees. Some of the trees are on her side, he says. And yeah. whereas Edmund doesn't get any of that. So when all four mm. of them end up back in Narnia, here you have Lucy who's able to recognize where there's problems, where there's... Um, where she recognizes where the danger is because she's been told where the danger yes, is. Yes, not only that, when they try to warn Edmund, he is very reluctant. Even though he's being told the truth, everything else, he's very much resistant because he already has, you know, the sort of ideas in his head. And then... Well, he already met the queen at that point. So he had met the queen before they had warned mm-hmm. him about, about her. And so she seemed very yes. reasonable. She seemed very good. She told him all the things he wanted to hear. Oh, I'm going to bring you back to my castle. Yes. You're going to be a prince. And when he was exposed to the lie first, the truth became so much harder to convince him of. Yeah, because the lie looked so good. It tasted so good. Um, oh, yeah. Turkish delight, by the way, is actually really delicious. Um, really? I've always thought it was kind no, of... No, absolutely. My husband like, hates it. This is the thing that he, like, sold his soul for? I, I never understood that when I actually saw Turkish Okay, I'm going to send you person. a box of applets and cutlets. It's from my neck of the woods, and it's delicious. Um, so, but <laughs> okay, back I'll on track. So, when it came to okay. Lucy and Edmund, it was so much easier to train Lucy than it was to rescue Edmund. And, you know, mm. if you if you're watching this with your kids, you can even ask them that. Be like, you know, okay, why why was this so? Why was why was this easier for for Lucy? And of course, you know, she had to train, you know, we all love the the archery scene where she throws her dagger in the movie and like nails the the bullseye at the at the first try and everything. It's but yet there was so much more work, so much more damage, so much more, you know, regret, but growth and everything else and yet it was so much harder for Edmund, you know, why is that? And it's a great just a great opportunity for mm. the kids can watch something that's on their level that they love that you can say, "Okay, why was this so? Why was it so tempting? You know, where have you seen this yeah. maybe in your life? Where have you maybe experienced mm. this in your life?" And it's just great spot for open dialogue. Yeah, and I think also sometimes when kids can have a picture of what we're trying to do with them, it'll make them, they'll still roll their eyes, but they'll kind of understand. And so if we ask them, why was this easier for Lucy? Because she was trying to spot these things beforehand. That's what I'm trying to do. And so I'm just going to, you know, give a little shameless plug for the Mama Bear (laughs) book. This is exactly what we're trying to do in this book is to identify the cultural lies that are out there and then teach moms how to have these conversations with their kids so that their kids can identify them. And I think that this is such a great example of what we can do is show them the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's such a well-made movie. And and get into that discussion. Why was Lucy able to see the truth easier then Edmund, how much harder was it to rescue Edmund? And, and you could even go as far as to say, what were the consequences of having to rescue Edmund? Because the death of Aslan mm. was one of the consequences of having, that's a pretty, pretty big consequence. Of course, you know, in the, in the book, you know, he says, the witch didn't know the deeper magic. And so it was like, you know, all part of the plan, just like it was with Jesus. But at the same time, it doesn't make what he did any less of a sacrifice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Oh, it's a good movie. So um, moving on to teaching about desire versus action. I think this is one of those ones that's really important for kids to understand because how do we sympathize without compromising? I think would be a good summary. Yeah, and you need perspective. And I I think that helps Mm -hmm. because sometimes, and you know, Coming, coming to think of it, like growing up, you know, it was always, well, this is this is just a choice, a choice as if, you know, it's just something easy that you pick out. And in, yeah. in a way, it's it's such a sort of shallow look on things. It really trivializes what they're going through. And it's very condescending. Oh, it is. It is very condescending. And so, but when a kid hears that, right, like kids have no trouble being blunt. Um, they, they have <laughs> a, a, a knack for I was it. that kid. Were you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was very black and white up until I, I've had to learn to be more nuanced and stuff. But yeah, I was a very black and white kid. And so I just blurted out and it was probably not the most gracious presentation sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, and you know, gosh, yeah, kids, kids, they aren't they have no filter. They will just blurt out what uh-uh. they think is truth. And you know, yeah, or what what is truth and, and they will just hit somebody with it. And uh, yeah, it can come off as as callous. And so I think, you know, 
when we're speaking to kids, I mean, we have to be careful to show them that, you know, there's a person there. You were not yeah. just dealing with some sort of issue. You know, we yeah. are, but there's more to it than that. I think the one of the things that the church has done with the LGBT, well, we'll just call it the ideology. Yeah. It has been so other than, you know, they talk about the number, the percentage of people that struggle with this used to be around 3%. And that stayed pretty consistent. And I think now that we're having this really early education, the number's actually rising, mm-hmm. you know, shocker. But um, if it really was only 3% of the population, that's a really easy sin to just demonize and make other than and make bigger than. Because if I don't struggle with it, then that, of course, must be the worst one. Right. And so being able to teach kids about that all sins are common to man, (laughs) it's like they all kind of boil down to very similar things. And in this sense, we're teaching about the difference between desire versus action. And how are some ways that we can get across to kids that they have desires that they can't act on uh, or that aren't good for them? I don't want to say that they can't do it like it's just this big list of do's and don'ts, but something that's just not good for them, which we have to be clear, Scripture teaches this was not part of God's original design. And we can get into all the verses later again that where people say, well, we, we think this is part of his original design, not our purpose here, but... From what we can tell, this was not part of his original design, but yet people still have desires in that direction. So what are your thoughts on that? I know we talked about that a lot before we started. I know, like, it seems like with kids, it it's a, can be a little easy, you know, when you come to the desires. I know with my boys, um, greediness can sometimes be a, a big thing that they struggle with, especially when it comes to food. I don't know. if I was about to say when it comes to food, I've seen that. Like the whole, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. I didn't fully understand that until I had my nephews. Oh, man. And, or, They're and ravenous. Like, Holy cow. They will just, yeah, anyways, whole other topic there. And so I think, I think generosity, like I, I know with my boys, you know, especially if, you know, three boys, if there's two cookies left, I mean, they are like throwing each other aside. Like it is just this big deal. Like who can run and call dibs? Like dibs is big now in the house, you know, on the cookies mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So teaching that, you know, you have that desire to, you know, I'm just going to eat this cookie. I'd love to eat, you know, both of them, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, teaching them that, you know, generosity is a tough thing to foster. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, that can be a way is highlighting something that maybe they struggle with, but, you know, of course, be delicate with it. You don't want to feel like you're calling out your kids, but, you know, you can, you can kind of help them see kind of a funny way to show this is it, I mean, you could hop on, uh, YouTube and find this clip is the the Secret Life of Pets preview that they would show on the TV before the movie came out. Uh-huh. My kids love this. I thought it was hilarious. Is there's a character on there? It's Chloe the cat. It's this very obese purple cat, and <laughs> she sees the in the fridge is this turkey dinner, and it's glorious. It's glistening, you know. And all she wants is this turkey, but she knows she's not supposed to have it. So the whole preview is just her like she opens the fridge and she stares at it and then she closes it and then she comes back she's like drooling and then she's like no 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 I'm not gonna do it and then at one point I think she's like bashing her head into the side of the fridge which is where my kids thought was just like the best and she's just she's just lusting after this this uh turkey (laughs) and uh you know I think that can be a fun way of you know have you ever had this sort of desire for something you're not supposed to have because obviously the cat's not supposed to eat the turkey dinner and that can just be you know a really accessible way for the small ones to uh to sort of think and you know okay there are things that I have wanted like that, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. sometimes I've been able, you know, you can ask what has helped you to stand firm and not give in to that or, you know, what are some times that maybe you you weren't able to resist, you know, what maybe would have helped you, you know, it's a, it's a great sort of talking point to sort of expose the, the humanity in the issue. Yeah, I would also stress that, that that would be especially good for the littles because we don't want to put uh, sexuality on the same par as as wanting a cookie right absolutely not we're not trying to trivialize and i know that you weren't meaning that i just i kind of felt the need to say that for the listeners and again i'm gonna recommend going back to if if you ever want context for what we're talking about go back to the blog that i had on the two questions every christian needs to ask before addressing lgbtq plus issues that that will show the gravity that, that we take this this issue that we're not trying to trivialize right. it, but we're just trying to make it accessible for kids. So just I wanted to to And yeah, your blog is is great too, especially if you have teens in the house or preteens in the house. They're gonna be encountering it, you know, as early as middle school. Um oh, yeah. and so and and her blog is absolutely wonderful. You you really do need to go read it because again it's something that you can talk about on a more deeper level with your older kids. Yeah. 
So finally, number five, yay, I think we're going to get through all this, is how to deal with people versus biblical commands. And one of the things that I was, I was kind of just meditating on this concept, because it's something that I've noticed, and I'm, I'm like, how do I explain this, is uh, we often interact with people the way we should treat scripture, and then separate groups of people will treat scripture the way sh- we should treat people. And I was saying, how can I, how can I make that, how can I unpack that? Mm-hmm. And so I came across a a quote by G.K. Chesterton, um, channeling my Rebecca here, (laughs) is merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. Otherwise, it could end up like a city sewer rejecting nothing. Mm. And so sometimes I think we are to treat people as everybody is welcome at the table. Everybody is equal before the cross. I like what you said when we prayed before this podcast where you said, the cross is not a trophy for the victors. It's a shelter for... The sinners. Yeah, it's actually a song. Shelter for the sinners. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's it? song okay. lyrics, but I love that so much. As, and, you know, I think when when you take it and you actually see Christ as the shelter, what are you, you're always wanting to get people into shelter. And yeah. whereas if it's a trophy, you're pushing people away. And I think sometimes, and even in the church past history, that's what's happened. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and so just um, this idea of treating people the way we should treat scripture, the way we treat scripture needs to be, we need to have an open mind with scripture only so far as we are trying to uncover what the truth is that's actually there. And when we do uncover the truth that's actually there, it's okay to close our mind around something that's true. That's the purpose, like Chesterton says, the purpose of opening the mouth is to close it again Mm. around something. And so when we find a biblical truth, we need to stick with it uncompromisingly. However, that's not the way we treat people, though, is we want to be open to all. And I think a lot of people, because they have a hard time seeing how you can do these two things at the same time, I think that's where the propensity to pick one or the other comes from, is the people who are uncompromising on truth treat people very uncompromisingly and very ungraciously. And as if this were just a, a theoretical issue that you can just make up your mind on, and the you know, like I said in the blog, the Bible said said it that settles it, you know. Yeah. There we are. I'm just gonna lob my truth bombs over the <laughs> fence. The, the word of God will not return void. And the people who are saying no, we need these are people are wanting to have compassion on the people, but what's going on is now they're taking that desire to treat people as individuals, and now they're trying to kind of change scripture mm. in order to make it more palatable. Yeah. So they're kind of treating scripture in that gracious way that we, you know, we can't be more gracious and more loving than God. God said what he said. But yeah, anyway, it's this this dichotomy that's really difficult to to get at the same time. But if we can get this through to our kids, the idea of how we deal with people versus how we deal with ideas and, and the doctrines that are taught in scripture. I don't know. Most adults don't get this. How do you think we can get this through to kids? Well, gosh, there's a story that I heard years ago, and I've always loved this story, is, you know, if you were walking down the street and somebody just came running up to you shouting, you're going to die, you're going to die, take this pill now, you you know, you would push them away and say, you're a nut job, get away from me. But if you were, if that person were to come alongside you, sort of strike up a conversation, that sort of thing, and then there's like, you know, it's funny, I I was diagnosed uh, with this sickness. Um, I had these symptoms and, you know, you start going through the symptoms and all of a sudden the symptoms they're talking about, huh, you know, those are symptoms that I've had. That's interesting. Now, well, what Mm. happened? Oh, well, here's this pill that I took, uh, this prescription that I got, and now I'm better. You know, all of a sudden that just that little extra bit of relational effort, you know, really opens the door. Yeah. So my husband has a similar kind of story is there's two different people that can come at you waving a knife at Mm. you. And you're going to respond differently, a mugger versus a surgeon. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so a mugger is someone who comes out of nowhere waving a knife and doing stuff, and they are not there for your benefit and kind of you're, you're going to want to run away from them. But if a surgeon comes at you with the same knife, it's likely that you have uh, talked to them first. They're not going to come up to you on the street. You've probably talked to them first, that you've probably discussed what's going to happen. They've made sure that you're okay with it. So it's kind of like that same truth. Mm. 
two different purposes and two different relationships. And I, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, we as the Christians, we're the surgeons and everybody else. Christ is the surgeon. <laughs> Christ is the one that we all need. It's, you know, the, we're, we're not the nurses in the hospital. We're, we're part of the sick people too. But it's, again, it's that idea of relationship when you take the truth to someone. And I even look at the way Jesus acted in the Gospels, mm. where the way he treated individuals was very different than the way he, when he was speaking to, say, the crowds. Mm. Think of like the Sermon on the Mount. The Jewish people uh, at the time had like 613 extra laws to protect them from ever transgressing any of the 10 laws <laughs> that God gave. It's like, you know, the 10 commandments. How do we make sure we never accidentally stick a toe? Well, let's put 613 commands on top of that. That way we don't even get close to, mm. to you know, crossing that line. So that was the culture that they were coming with. And when Jesus speaks to the Sermon on the Mount, if you really read that, like really read it, that is, it's not, it's not harsh. I don't like using the word harsh. It might be blunt. It's, what's it where you can't reach a goal? It's unattainable. Mm. It is the most unattainable speech you'll see in scripture. And that's the one that he gives to the, the whole crowd. Because when you're dealing with everybody, you got to deal kind of with the truth, the way the truth is yeah. for the whole group. When you're dealing with people, you look at the way he treated the woman at the well. You look mm. at the way he treated the woman caught in adultery when he was talking to the, the rich young ruler. All the times that he was one-on-one, he kind of started where they were at. And actually, I want to I want to finish with this. This is something that I have discovered in my own life is the way that God deals with me is so gracious. Mm. I, I look at where I came from and I think of all the steps along the way. And each time I thought, okay, now now I've gotten where the Lord wants me to go. And then he'll real, he'll kind of unpeel that other layer. Yeah. If we want to go back to C.S. Lewis thinking about um, uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader when he's, he's peeling the scales off of Eustace. And it's like the Lord keeps revealing just different parts of my sin nature, different mm. parts of things that he wants to change about me. This idea that yeah, God absolutely loves me exactly as I am, but he loves me too much to leave me where I am. And this goes for everybody. Mm. So he keeps unpeeling these layers. But if he had revealed all the steps that he wanted to do with me from beginning to end at the very beginning, I don't think I could have handled that. Yeah. And yet that's how sometimes Christians treat this issue with the LGBT mm. is we'll take something from scripture that is the ideal and then just kind of wham, you know, put them on them without introducing them to Jesus, mm -hmm. without really getting them to understand the Father's love, without even understanding just any of the basics of the gospel. And they want to just go from zero to 60 like that. And if you don't do it, well, you know, I'm going to shake the dust off my heels and walk away. And you're obviously just choosing to sin and I'm not going to waste my time or throw my pearls before swine. Mm -hmm. All these really horrible attitudes you got to look at the way the Lord has treated you. It's so much more graciously than the way that we sometimes treat people who are not not as far along in their walk with Christ. No, and I, honestly, I think that's that's so perfect because, you know, we're talking about how, how Christ has been so gracious and perhaps maybe the best witness, the best way we can help our kids act this way is when we act that way toward our kids. Like, mm. let, and I mean, me as a parent, I mean, I know that I am, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Um, and I think when we, when we truly understand Christ's graciousness and how gracious he was toward us in all of our sin, and even the things we still mess up, when we start, when we realize the true depth of that, we realize mm -hmm. how important that is to extend toward others. And I think yeah. for our kids, you know, that can be maybe the best apologetic right there is just, okay, how mm. can I how can I model for my kids how Christ is to me? I'll end with a kind of an example of that and something that I've taken with me my whole life. Because my mother and I started when I was young. We didn't have the greatest relationship, I think, because I was just so different than what mm. she kind of was expecting a girl to be like. Um, uh, I very much I identified, not gender-wise, but I guess... I identified with my dad a lot more. Yes. Just we, we like the same things. We like to talk about the same things. So she and I kind of had a strained relationship. But I have this very vivid memory. And, and we're great now. We are like, uh, I just wanted to say that. My mom is awesome. <laughs> so anyway, I have to make that disclaimer. We're going on a trip next week. And, you know, just the two of us because we like spending time together so much. But um, I remember when I was a little girl. And this shows you the little scientist that was in me that she kept telling me I, she had one of those pink pink daisy razors and she kept saying don't slide your finger sideways on it and it wouldn't have even occurred to me to do it had she not said that but once she said it I was like this thing of like why doesn't she want me to, I must have been like four 
why doesn't she want me to do this? And so I remember going over and sliding my finger sideways. And to this day, I can remember the feeling of that cut mm. and just crying out in pain. And what did she do? She did not tell me, I told you so. She just gathered me in her arms and she comforted mm. me. That was kind of the grace that you give to someone who's an individual. Mm. And that's the difference between people versus the blanket ideas. But anyway, we are going over time. I hope that this has been a really helpful conversation. So Amy, would you like to pray for our moms out there who are dealing with this difficult topic with their kids? Absolutely. Father God, we are so grateful that we are able to come together to listen, to grow. Thank you, Lord, for for your word. Um, I mean, every, every time we come together and we discuss topics like this, it's it's one of growth, but it's also one of conviction because there is so much that, you know, we need to work. We need to work toward seeking after you and better emulating your teachings, Father. And Lord, we just lift up all these, these mama and papa bears out there as they are mm-hmm are struggling to to raise their kids, Lord, in a world that is just, it seems like so crazy sometimes. We pray that you will give them the wisdom and the patience. Father, speak through them so that their kids recognize you in their parents. I pray for their kids, Lord, that they will just, they will understand that their parents are people that they can go to, that they're their first line of defense, Father. And I pray that you will open their hearts so that when these kids are struggling, that maybe instead of first seeking out, you know, friends who may tell them exactly what they want to hear or, you know, being so susceptible to uh, music, TV, any of that sort, that they that they know that they can come to their parents first. And yeah. they, they see that because they know that there's the truth of God there and that they just hunger out for that truth, Lord. I just, I just pray over all of these families that you will help them so that they will continue to grow and be raise up the, the next generation of warriors, Father, warriors who are, who are gentle and loving, but who also will stand firm in your truth. In your holy name, amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, mama bears. We are all in this together.